Dotnet Rocks episode 816 with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded live Monday, October 22nd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey Atlanta! Welcome to .NET Yeah! Yeah! I haven't seen a crowd like that since I dropped trow in Vegas. Oh, okay. I didn't need to that. That was loud. That was loud. Yeah. We're in Atlanta. Yeah, you guys are rowdy. Yeah, they're troublemakers in Atlanta. Especially, rowdy, but slow. Especially that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> so, we're here with uh, Julie Lerman. And we will... We'll be talking to Julie in just a minute, but first, Mr. Campbell, I believe we have some business to take care Indeed of. Indeed we do. Let's start with Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got? I have an awesome slider for you. Oh, a slider? Like awesome a, slider. Like a burger? Codeplex.com. Ah, Codeplex. And it's an orchard module. It's an orchard module. Really? allows you to build a custom slider for your website. And you can add items to the slider simply by providing an image and a description. It has a demo and a tutorial, and it has 43 downloads. Ah, okay. So it's new or it's, it's rare? It's actually from July 21st, 2011. Okay. But it's Orchard. Yep. So only so Orchard folks are going to want it. If if you haven't checked out Orchard, check it out. Yeah. And we were awesome just at a Give Camp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some of the folks were using Orchard, yeah. Some of the folks were learning Orchard. We crashed day. a give camp on the, on the road trip. We were driving by Baltimore from Philly, going down to Fredericksburg, and we pulled in, drove right up to the front of the building yeah. in a place a so narrow you couldn't turn the RV around. Yeah. And uh, crashed to give 100 people, staying up all night, been programming yeah. their brains out. And there was a few folks that work in Orchard. I projects. actually felt like we were Van Halen. Just they all came out and they were like, yeah. It's awesome. Don, it rocks is here. Especially when you let that couch on fire and threw it out the window. I know. It was a good Van Halen moment. I know, it was awesome. <laughs> so there you go. Awesome slider. That's cool. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of Julie's show. This is uh, 791, where we talked about Entity Framework 5. And Julie, thanks so much for responding to the folks who comment on your show. I really appreciate that. And I think they do, too. But here's what you didn't respond to. Uh, John Mitchell says, Hi, Carl, Richard, and Julie. Interesting show. Entity Framework has been my go-to for all DB work for a few years now, and I'm happy to see it continuing to improve. I do feel that the comment that data migrations just work is not strictly true. It does if you are the only developer on the project and only have the live database to worry about. This is not the reality of most projects with multiple developers making changes to the model and multiple environments, tests, live, and so on. Using data migrations in this scenario requires a lot of coordination and communication to ensure that all developers are up to date on the schema and migration scripts in whatever form they take are reflective of the updates required. I accept that most DB update strategies require this discipline. However, I would not like to think the listeners would go down the data migration route thinking it's a magic bullet. And that's from John Mitchell. 
John, you're right. Everything has a price. Without a doubt, nothing comes for free. It's better that we have data migrations than not, but yeah, it's going to take a little bit of handle to get that stuff right. Julie, anything to add? Uh, just that it's no more or less magic than any other solutions we've had. Sure. Any other paths yeah. we've had to go down that, un unfortunately. So yeah. if, if I've suggested that it was magic, he, he has a good point. Yep. Because Maybe I slid over that a little it's bit. It's also not like EF is done either. That's a clearly an area that's relatively new and can be improved. Yeah. So, hey, head over to CodePlex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. at, or, or if you figured it out, submit submit a poll. That's sure. right. <laughs> but I, I think it's really interesting to talk about that whole how do we coordinate this piece better. It's It's more about the toolkit around EF than it is about EF itself. I think that's a pretty important piece. Uh, so, John, thank you again for your comment and a fabulous .NET Rocks mug. It's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the site at .NETrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers developer training videos online. They have over 300 courses uh, done by experts in the industry and MVPs and people such as are on this show. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Who could that be? I don't know. And uh, they release eight to ten new courses a month, and uh, subscriptions start at just $29 a month. All sorts of topics, just about anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, plus Java, iOS, Android, HTML5, CSS, Windows 8, just about everything. Even Entity Framework. Even Entity Framework. Uh, so go to Pluralsight.com today and get your subscription. And with that, let's introduce Julie Lerman one more time. Julie, give it up for Julie. I am coming back to Atlanta soon. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get that at home. No, not so much? <laughs> My dog. Yeah, yeah your, your dog's always happy to see you. It's true. Well, and, and, and part of the road trip certainly is, you know, taking the rock star out of their hometown where they're, right. you know, just Julie and getting a chance for other folks to meet them and, and have a chance to talk to them and. And have some fun with it. Are you still doing talks at the Burlington Code Camp? Every once in a while, do you drop in there and say hi? Or well, the the Code Camp, the Vermont Code Camp, we we just did our fourth one. We had a hundred over one hundred and seventy people there, which wow. is pretty impressive for Vermont. But it's not just .NET. We we work with all the communities, right? Anyway, no, I'm not talking because I'm one of the organizers. Yeah, okay. But I, I speak at the user group once in a while, but uh, I try not to do it all the time because you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you want to let other people do stuff. It's about so, growing community. You can't just yeah. be the person. No, we, we've gotten more and more local people to speak at the user group, which has yeah. been a real challenge, Jim. You probably know. Oh, I don't see him there anymore. Oh, you there moved. You got closer. Y you probably know how that is. But, um, you know, I've been working at it for 11 years, and I, I love that when yeah. local people are ready to get up and share what they're doing. Yeah. With yeah. It's that great transformation from, you know, somebody who sat quietly in the back to somebody who eventually moves to the front of the room, starts asking questions, to somebody standing in the front of the room and, and being questions asked of. And I love so, the fact that everybody gets a pint of Ben and Jerry's at the door. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no. And actually, really your buddy don't. Mike Jones is speaking at our next, uh, our next meeting on uh, load balancing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, you know, the hardware stuff is fun, too. My little run-ass hat comes on every so often, and we do that. Yeah, he was a guest on Run-Ass Radio. He was, indeed. Yeah, on IP he, 
6. IPv6. IPv6. Don't worry, it's going to take over the world. It'll be fine. Don't you any, worry. Any, any day, day now. now. Yep. It'll be good. Just hang on. <laughs> IPv6 is the fusion reactor of the internet. Yeah. It's just a few years away. Yeah, everything's 10 years it's, away, right? I think Always. that says it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is important, but, you know, somewhat off topic uh, for us. I do... I, what do we got left to say about any framework? I mean, .NET 4.5 is out, the thing shipped, uh, Entity Framework 5, because he decided to skip with the naming convention. Mm. It's all good, oh, right? Yeah, the, you know, the, the, yeah, we talked about this in the last show, that the naming, the versioning. Yeah, is, right. So it's still confusing. Yeah. It's still confusing. If you, if you get the NuGet package and install Entity Framework that way, if you have .NET 4 in your project, then it will install, it will, it pulls everything down, but it puts a DLL that's version 4.4. But if it's .NET 4.5, then it puts a different version, the 5.0 DLL. So is it really EF5 mm. or I, I, Yeah, yikes. Uh, and yeah. It, and complicated just, by the fact that usually some it's it's kind of difficult to know whether you have .NET 4.5 or .NET 4 on your machine cuz 4.5 writes over the assemblies of 4. Yeah, well it's really just what the project is targeted for yeah. where that mm -hmm. that's important. It's all well and fine till your app doesn't work. Yeah. Not that that would ever happen. That would never happen. That would never happen. <laughs> just saying. So, it was a great talk that you did. Uh, just a, Julie just did a 20-minute talk to the group that we did not record, but it was only for the road trip attendees. Did you like it? Yeah. yeah. So good for my ego. Yeah. yeah very good. <laughs> for a little ego. Yeah. A lot, there's, there's a power in live audiences. What can you say? <laughs> and have you finished your book finally? I like to ask you happy questions. I know. <laughs> Bad dreams. People who are using the existing book and going, oh, it's so confusing. Because now um, Visual Studio 2012, mm -hmm. at RTM, they flipped in a change with a designer. Oh, no. Mm. It wasn't in betas or anything. And the change, mm. it, it was a, it's a good thing, but it's confusing to people. Mm -hmm. The change is that it, it actually follows their guidance, which is if you're using the designer... You've got an EDMX and you're doing code gen. Their guidance has been, please don't use the default uh, code gen T4 template that gives you object context. We really want you to use DB context and POCOs for new projects. Okay. So Visual Studio 2012, when you create an EDMX, when you create a new model, it pulls down NuGet and it applies that T4 template. So it's great, except even brand new books, like brand new C Sharp .NET 4.5 right. books, don't anticipate that. Don't and have that I'm in getting it. so many emails about that. And I feel so guilty about, you know, the people who are getting my second edition, going through the beginning, and it's all, you know, object context, object context. I'm like, well, it's for Visual Studio 2010. Yeah. I got to think that most of your book, and I haven't read it because I'm, I'm not I, an EF guy, so. but I got to think it. that most of it's got to deal with all the different scenarios of, you know, the state of a project and when you start using EF. You know, if you're, if you're starting from a, from a greenfield application, it's pretty easy. And, but if you have a database but no code, that's one thing. If you have code but no database, that's another thing. If you got a little of each, that's quite a different thing. And yeah. So well, with the, that book, we did, Code First wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Code First wasn't out yet. So that wasn't yeah. even that a wasn't discussion. Even an but I wrote 
with Rowan Miller, I wrote a book on Code First, specifically on configurations. And then we wrote another short book on, on DB Context. So now what people are doing is they're getting all three books and kind of going back and forth. And I just, I have a lot of guilt about that. So are you going to fix it? Are you writing uh, another one? Are you going to put it all back together? Because writing books is so much fun. I just, I have to finish this and finish that yeah, and yeah. finish that and finish that. <laughs> and I don't know. So what about... I really like doing the plural site videos. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. really, really like doing them. I mean, well, it's torture doing them, but right. I love it when they're done. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, makers of Telerik Open Access. You're just about to start another huge .NET project aiming to deliver a high-performing data access application in the shortest term possible. One way to go is wisely allocate a few weeks of dev time in the project plan to create a robust hand-coded data access layer, or there's always the easy way out. You can save yourself tons of development and testing time and focus on the business logic that your customers demand. Here's Telerik Open Access ORM, the tool that takes care of the data access layer of your app so you don't have to. Open Access ORM generates all the code you need in just a few points and clicks through a powerful visual designer and works with all popular databases and .NET platforms on the market. Download a free trial at Telerik.com slash OpenAccessRocks and get instant control of your data. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. What about those scenarios? Can we talk about those different scenarios? You yeah. Know, the Greenfield's pretty easy, but uh, yeah, you're coming into the project in various states. Yeah, well, um, the, the first thing really is to think about your model. Mm -hmm. And if you have an existing database, it does make a lot of sense to say, well, I've got something. Mm -hmm. I can create classes from that from and do the reverse engineering. And there are two options for reverse engineering the database. One is database first, which gives the model. Mm -hmm. And the other is to reverse engineer for code first. Mm. Code first will create classes, POCO classes, and a whole bunch of configurations. But the right now, that reverse engineering, which is part of the beta tools, uh, Entity Framework, Power Tools, beta. Um, I don't. I love it, but there's a, there's something that I don't like about it that I work around, which is it just takes the whole database and makes everything to you know everything's in there and every all the dependencies and constraints and relationships. And you may not want those things. Right. Yeah. So I usually use that tool and I let it generate everything into a separate project and I just pick and choose what Pull I want. Pull out the classes oh, okay. you want. Yeah. I can see that because there's a lot of orphan tables and things that you don't actually need. And I, well, I'm building small contexts too. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what I've been, you know, what I've been pushing a lot to the domain driven design, the bounded context, small, small context. So I really only want, you know, those classes that matter for this task. The classes that and the relationships, the classes and relationships that matter for that. And is that task. really retrofitable? Am I taking an, an existing working app that I'm getting ready to do a new version on? And I can actually do this generation step. They do the code first generation step well, and they you, fit into the existing app. So one was the existing database. Existing is existing app. If you've got all your classes, then you want to start with code first. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And then and then drive and it from there. Just and to define code first does what? Starts with where? Code first starts with your classes. So, so you so already have you already have to have data classes. Yeah. But but in this case, I mean if you already have classes and you already have a database, it is going to be more challenging right. to say, okay, I'm gonna use code first because the more typical path with code first is 
you know, we either we we use a tool that already figures out how to map between your classes, which are your conceptual model now, mm -hmm. and the database schema. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a database and you've got classes, then you're going to have to really understand how to use the configurations to make sure that Code First does the proper interpretation mm. of how what that schema is going to look and, like. And from my experience, the configurations are the ugly part. This is where ORMs right. get ugly. Like even go back to N Hibernate, like th this ends up being in Hibernate's case, it was blobs of XML that were trying to do oh, all that yeah, mapping. Yeah. What does the configurations really look like in EF5? Like, there's well, ND framework with code first configurations. There's two paths you can take. Mm -hmm. One is um, to use data annotations. Okay. So they just extended the data annotations that already existed in .NET that were being used for MVC and ASP.NET Dynamic Data, mm -hmm. um, and they extended that for schema stuff. So that's all good for a lot of people, um, except for people like me who say, I don't want database schema information in my classes. Yeah. What does it have to do with At my all. business yeah. domain? They right. don't think they belong there. So there's the Fluent API where you actually write code to describe what these things should be. And, and things like, you know, the... Code first uses convention to make assumptions about how we're going to get from the classes to the database, mm -hmm. how, how okay. we're going to create a query or when data comes back, how we're going to hook everything up. So you start with the conventions and then you have to tweak it where it doesn't match the convention. So for example, a convention, one convention is a property in a class is going to map to a column in a database table of the same name. Right. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So you'd use a configuration to say, and eh, no, the database table is, you know, this weird thing because our DBA made these weird names. Right. Or, the, or the, yeah, you're using nice property names and the table names, the, the column names are not as nice. Makes me happy that you used the word DBA and weird in the same sentence. No, no. I, <laughs> now don't, don't screw me no, up no, with I, the editing makes, there. Makes me happy, man, not necessarily you or anybody else. Uh, where does this Fluent API code land if we're going to start writing this stuff? It goes in the data layer along okay. with your DB context. And so this gets back to your real point of, I don't want to use data annotations. I end up putting them in my business classes. So I use the Fluent API to write code down in the data layer so that I can I keep that data-related stuff where it should be. Right, because at, at runtime, what happens is Entity Framework will look at the classes use convention, like use mm -hmm. its conventions to say, okay, well, here's the class name this, and it's a table name that, here's a column, here's the relationship, so I, you know, I'll, I can have some guess at what the schema of the database is going to look like. But then it also, at that time, it's building, it's building a representation of the model in memory, mm -hmm. metadata in memory. So what it does, it starts with a convention, and then it goes to read the configurations to figure out what that metadata looks like. So that all happens in that process along with the DB context, figuring all that stuff out. So it all, all of that code is in the same place. There's actually a, a virtual method that uh, when a DB context is instantiated, this virtual method is hit, and that's where the configurations get stuck in. So all of that stuff is in the data layer. Okay. So let's take another scenario. Let's say that you're, you're using a tool like nHibernate or another ORM, and you, I don't know, for whatever reason, you hit a brick wall or you get a new manager and they don't like it and they want to move to any framework. Has anybody ever in this room been in that situation? 
Anyone? Yeah, Jim, you have? So moving from one other ORM to Andy Framework? Uh, when you're go- go moving between uh, link to SQL to Entity Framework, it's fairly easy because it's uh, not as rich of a mapping on the link to SQL side, and you can just go richer on the Entity Framework yeah, side. Yeah, Entity Framework is the superset. You know, essentially. I mean, there are some minor tweaks and changes that you have to do, name, method name differences, uh, particularly with Entity Framework 1 where you had, uh, it didn't do lazy loading, but link to SQL did. Right. You know, some minor changes there. So sometimes people would have issues where their code would uh, compile and run with Entity Framework, but wouldn't give them the right results. Ouch. Yeah, well, that's a bit, a bit of a problem there. That, that, that might be that would make people sad. Yeah, just a little bit of an issue. <laughs> okay. um, but in terms of uh, going from some richer object mapping structures like N-Hibernate to Entity Framework or Entity Framework over to N-Hibernate, you have one of those. Typically, if you're having those richer mappings, it's going to be more complex and you're going to have a lot more effort to work there. However, if you've isolated your conceptual model, yeah. then your code, your, all of your UI code, your business layers are all working against the conceptual model and you don't have to worry about what the difference is in the database at that point either. And if the conceptual model isn't filled with classes that inherit from entity object. Yeah. Who would do that? Yeah, why? <laughs> why would they ever do that? What's up with that? Uh, so, but but it, I, and I do appreciate that basic idea that if you've gone through the work to properly separate the areas of concern in an application around data, then switching out these things becomes less painful. Right. It's not magic. No. no. I mean, you know, we, we talk about that with repositories, too. You know, people want to write these repositories that are very abstract so they could say, oh, I could just flip in any data layer. Mm-hmm. But the more abstraction you put in there, then you start... Uh, removing all of the benefits of of those data layers, so yeah, sure. there's going to be some work involved going from one to another. Yeah, and I got to imagine that scenario happens more often than we think. You know that you want to you want to switch gears for whatever reason. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, I, I hate that kind of battle. Oh yeah, you know, so you know, changing plumbing codes the worst. Yes, right. When you're done, everything. If you're lucky, everything that used to work still works. More likely, you just broke stuff that used to work. Right. Yeah. The the best result is nobody knows. Nobody can tell. That's yeah. bad programming. <laughs> bad. Five years down the road, you yeah. get the call. That's not <laughs> like what us night. devs are used to because we usually have shipping parties. Yes. Oh, you like that? Yeah, you? we do. You know, talk about that in my session. I don't want to blow past the greenfield scenarios because there still is always this argument of code first, data first, even in the greenfield scenario. You, yep. you, or do you think it's is, only code first? It depends. No, it's yeah, it 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 depends. I've worn well, DBA hat. I will be that okay, person. Green greenfield. So I think the way I these days I when I am approaching it, I am doing code first right. if it's totally greenfield, but. I really want a DBA. I, I care a lot about the database, an awful mm. lot about the database. It, it turns out it matters. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> so, you know, I I get a professional to look at it. Right. I say, here, you know, here's what it is. Here's what it's going to create for me, or here's the SQL that it's mm. going to generate to create the database or the, the any any of the schema information. Um, and... And they can make suggestions. I can tweak configurations to adapt Entity Framework to interpret the model and the mappings that way. But there's also a nice thing, especially with the the migrations, is I can um, create the database and then somebody who knows what they're doing in a database 
can do things like add more indices, add triggers, add start procedures, add views, add all that stuff. And then with migrations, I'm not going to lose all those things. Right. Mm. Well, and it, I think that's a really, as the guy who's been the DBA, I like the fact that you're bringing it to me and that the big thing here is can With M&M's. Yeah. Yep. Well, pizza, <laughs> pizza, right? Pizza is the ultimate negotiation tool right there. Yeah. Oh, no. Yes. Six years I've been screwing that up. Yeah. Oh, it's not God. all about the candy. I could have kept the M&M's for myself. Yeah. It's not all, some folks, it's not about the candy. Sometimes it's about the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> like, as in who moved it? Yeah. <laughs> Just bring me the pizza and we'll talk. Yeah. Uh, but... It's all well and fine to keep them in the loop and so forth. It's when they're going to challenge you on design pieces where they're mm. going to say, no, you know, I don't like the, the way this table structure is laid out. I don't like this foreign key relationship, like more complex database uh, viewpoints on things. And of course, they're, they're the expert. I'm, I mean, I'm if with it's you. a DBA that you trust. But I'm with <laughs> you. Just my question is how, when I start asking for these things as the DBA, how much are you able to do in that generation? In, there's a lot that you can do with a configuration, especially okay. around constraints. Um, I mean, the constraints that and it, you can configure with code first are limited. I mean, you can't do everything. Okay. Like, you, you can't do, like, unique foreign keys. Entity framework doesn't support that yet. Right. Um, so, so you can configure a lot of those. I'm just trying to think about... Um, I'm trying to think if I happen to know any scenarios of something that you might want in a database and put in a database that if it's not represented by the metadata, then it's going to create a problem. And right. I really don't, I don't happen to know. Well, and I'm wondering if we eventually back into an issue where it's like, okay, we're going to have to go data first. Like you know, you've given me your take on the database. I've asked for things that you can't necessarily do. Oh, how about I just go create the database like this with my things. And now you have to pick that up and start working with it. If I've already started, I already started creating my classes and stuff. I imagine you will have to be, just to be able to do that initial generation. I think, you know, I think what I would attempt, and I haven't, I haven't been in this scenario, but I think the path I might go down is let's compare what entity framework thinks it's going to be right. to what you're creating. And then hopefully I'll, I'll be able to tweak the configurations so, so that do they both? match. That's what you're saying. Have one sub team do uh, do code first, the other data first. Only in a des act of desperation. Yeah, yeah. No, and with you because we can spend an awful lot of time on that. Piece. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, I, well, I, I mean, you know, maybe a subset of the app. You know, just a, a couple of couple of tables or classes. Well, and, you and there's there's always scenarios where um, you know pe people try to do everything. You know, once they're using Entity Framework, they want to do everything with you know with link and queries and everything mm -hmm. like that. And there's some places where something just it's just never going to be great, right? You know, and you know it's the whole eighty twenty. Like, do it, write it, make it make it work. Find the pain points. Go put stored procedures in. Go yep. put views yeah. in where you need to really improve on them. Yep. Yeah, and I'm I'm not a guy who wants stored procedures absolutely everywhere. Even though I you know worn the DBA hat fairly often, but I know they are needed in certain places, and it's not just performance; it's abstraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I use views a lot. Sure, views for that, and I and I prefer views when I can use them because views are composable. 
So mm-hmm. I can query on, on the client side and the entity mm-hmm. framework, I can query over those views. Right. Whereas I can't do that with the stored procedure. And are we only talking about SQL Server here realistically? How painful is it to use EF against something like Oracle? Um, that's just going to be as good as the providers that are around. Right. So there's a number of choices for Oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, DevArt, Oracle has, has one. Um, my my experience Direct. has been trying to work with Oracle. You have to pay, pay for the provider. The free ones are crappy. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the good ones are a few hundred dollars, and they're worth it. I think Microsoft has one, too. They do. And so if, uh, if, it, were, if it were Microsoft, Oracle, or a third party, I would probably wait, go my, with a third Micros- party. Microsoft doesn't have an entity framework provider for Oracle. Um, okay. As a matter of fact, Microsoft no longer, they, they stopped creating new Oracle providers. Okay. They stopped doing system.data.oracle. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Well, that's news to me. Yep. Very good. You heard it here, folks. There you go. <laughs> no, useful, useful piece of information. It's, but, but I, I, I worry that we're too much Oracle. of a SQL Server-centric world, right? It's like we just presume everybody has SQL Server yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I have clients who use Oracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a number of them. Um, and, yeah, and then they come and say, which, which provider should I use? And I'm like, oh, you know, God, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. Um, there's data, data Direct also, um, although I... I have, you know, that's just another another option. Yep. But there's there's for tons of the tons of databases. There's tons of providers out there, and as a matter of fact, a few other ones for SQL Server. Nice. <laughs> well, Richard, you know what time it is. It must be that happy time again. It's time to give away a, a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome! And everybody here is a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, right? <laughs> Because you can't win if you're not. That's right. We have thousands of members, and if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the Get Free Stuff button, sign up. It's easy, and you could win. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology. I'm going to ask Julie what she would pick in a minute. But first, our winner today is Luke Ward. Luke Ward. Hey for Luke. Yeah. Oh, come on. Give him a little big round of applause. Matt. They're like, yay, I didn't win. <laughs> You'll awesome get your move. shot a little later on uh, after the show. That's right. So, Julie, if uh, somebody said I have $5,000 worth of, worth of geek stuff to get for you, uh, what would you spend it on? Is, does it have to be software? No. no. Hardware? Software? Uh, toys? Big you squirt could, guns? Uh, you can get a, a, a maple sugaring vat, perhaps. <laughs> Ooh, you mean a new rig? Yeah. That's the thing. Everything in Vermont is a rig. You Do they a, call them that down here, too? Cars and You could get computers. a ton of cheesecloth. Cheesecloth. I'm trying to be Vermont here. Geek, geeky. Oh. She's tired. Yeah. She's punchy. Oh, no, no. The problem is that I've been living in Vermont for so long that I'm afraid to spend money, so I don't think <laughs> oh, about... Oh. You know, I've got that Vermont thing in, in my okay. head now, so I'm not much of a spender anymore. A rovio? A rovio. A robot? With a robot? Or, uh, my, my current favorite configuration... Oh. I know what we need. Oh, okay. here we go. <laughs> we need a tracking collar for the dog for when he runs away from me in the woods. A $5,000 <laughs> tracking collar? 
He's a big dog. Yeah, big dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking about 3D printers. So. Oh, coolness. Yeah. Those are awesome. Because they're, they're a couple of grand. Plus, I figure you got to get them a Surface Pro because that's be the coolest machine going. Mm-hmm. So, that's another maybe 15. Surface, you mean the, the big one? No, no, no. no. Surface Pro is the, the, the new Win 8 tab- tablet. tablet. That's that big table thing's now called Pixel Sense. And that's, that's about right. 7500 bucks. the it's Samsung. just out of range. Oh, I saw one on Amazon the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Add to cart. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get my big dog to pull that cart. Nice. <laughs> How about a big magnet? Yeah. Because they make those. Yeah. Who would get a big magnet? That's crazy talk. $5,000 hard drive destroyer. Yeah. Giant. <laughs> a giant neodymium magnet. Absolutely. One that could actually break limbs if you got between it and a metal object. Yeah. You could power stuff with that. So, uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, go to the fan club page, sign up again. It's easy. It's free. And you could win stuff. And thanks so much to Telerik for providing some great prizes for our fan club. All right, Julie, we got to get back into this thing. I'm still being your evil DBA and I'm enjoying it. I have to tell you. I love DBAs. They're weird. (laughs) They're weird. (laughs) (laughs) No, they help me. I can't do that stuff. Yeah. Does any framework actually use the data tools inside of Studio now? Like you can do the full script generation, take an old version of the database, map the new changes to it, and generate all the scripts for the changes? That's not how Entity Framework does it. No? It, they're doing their own. I, I don't even know how that um, the update database, the migrations, I don't even know how that really works under okay. the covers. But I'm pretty sure that's their own code. It's magic. Magic. Because it, it's all well and fine for the original version of the app. It's when we already have one out and running, and you're made, you've made a bunch of changes to the data model now and need to push all those changes onto the database as well. It means the DBA is really going to get nervous. Like, don't mess up the data. Well, with the migrations, you can say, don't really do this. Just give me SQL. Right. Give me the scripts. Yeah. Yep. And then if it I messes give them up, to a pro. Let the, let the DBA fix it. Nice, thanks. Because yeah. you know, because it, it's not the script that's the problem. It's if I had to revert. Like, yeah. What does it take to roll back a version? The the migrations actually supports that. Okay. Um, if you're there's two ways to to do to approach the migrations. There's the magic, the automated mi- migrations, and then there's the migrations that you own. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you want to own it. Do the migrations that you own. Don't mm-hmm. do the automatic because mm. you can't really roll back. You can't do all that stuff. Mm. But if you're if you're doing the migrations, if you're doing doing it in a way that you're controlling that, then you have each migration, each step, and there is a way to say roll it back to when I did that step. Right. So you provided can do you have version in, problems. Provided you haven't inserted any manual steps into that thing that are not reversible, like say dropping a table. Uh, if you've manually dropped a table, yeah, it'll get confused because yeah. it'll try to it'll try to drop that table. Well, if you're going backwards, it's trying to undrop the table. Well, it depends on what you did. The yeah. Mm. No, if you if you, bleh, it's too. I'm just saying. I can't figure. I, I, I can't as figure a DBA, rollback is the hard one. Yeah. How do I get back to where we were when making those restore kinds of database? Yeah. No, it actually, it, it each time you create a migration, it creates a section called up and a section called down. Yeah. So it actually says, okay, what I'm really doing here is I'm adding this column and I'm adding this and I'm adding that. 
Mm-hmm. And if I want to undo this, that's in the down. They put mm-hmm. create a down. So to, to go back to what it was before I did this, I need to remove, you know, it's the sequel, remove, remove, remove. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, it would actually, what you can do is you can say, you know, you tell it, I want to update database, go back to that migration. What it does is it reads backwards through all the migrations until sure. it gets to that one and runs the downs. Okay. Okay. That's a good system. And it does and clever again, guys on that team, guys and girls. Nice. But it also I mean being able to show that to the DBA so the DBA has some confidence that if we do this migration, this is the changes that are gonna happen. And if we need to go back, this is what it looks like. Migrations always are either magic or a big pain in the ass. There is no middle ground, isn't there? Because it's either it worked or it didn't. And if it didn't, that's when, you know, uh Got to pour to put on a pot of coffee and get to work. That's why I keep a pro around. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but you said you knew. <laughs> oh, that yeah. Everybody's a pro right up until it really hits the fan, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, now what? It's a hardware problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, it's always the guy in the corner saying, if we did this in Ruby and Rails, no, we wouldn't have any problems at all. Oh yeah, yeah. You should I, switch to a real. Yeah. I hate that guy. <laughs> I hate that guy too. So Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh, you know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's component1spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. We have a question from the audience. Hello, my name is Rocio. Um When you were talking about providers... I was wondering if you have any experience or someone someone else have an experience with PostgreSQL? Uh, with Postgre? If, yeah. Postgre I or Postgres? Postgres. I Postgres. Know. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've just seen it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've used Postgres. And is there is there any good provider? And I was I'm more com- just more trying to remember if I've seen if I've seen one. I've I've used an ADO.NET provider for Postgres, but I haven't seen anything for EF. I usually just have to yeah, go. Was more check. In, more interested in the side of uh, any previous experience with any customer or person that you know that were. Let's crowdsource it. Anyone in the audience have experience with Postgres? And and you're saying specifically Postgres and Entity Framework. Oh, yeah, okay. We, oh, but there's so there's there's yeah there many, are so many 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 right. many. You know, the database market's kind of dominated between SQL Server, Oracle, then you can go down to maybe DB2, Sybase. Mm. You know. MySQL. Yeah, MySQL. I mean, they're, you know, they're out there. There's mm-hmm. a, a lot of little ones, too, yeah, like as long as Firebird. You... And, right, and that's still just talking about relational model stuff. And, yeah. You know, as as well, you... that's the entity framework is relational. It's a really relational model. Yeah. yeah. So there's no NoSQL and entity framework pairing. Kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I was just about to say yeah. the same thing. Kind of, yeah. it's a moot, moot. point. Yeah. I don't need it. Don't need to go that way. Hmm. I, I've always been. I've loved when I the projects I did with Postgres. I was very impressed with the database. It's quite clever for an, an, an open source database. But uh, it's yes. Also, the spatial the spatial support. 
for NDG firmware, I was interested interested if there is I mean if it works in Postgres, but I, I don't know. Uh, oh, somebody. Did you raise your hand, sir? No. No. Oh, sorry. He was just having itching hard. <laughs> yeah, it's just itching. The the way the spatial support has been implemented, it's up to the provider to take it to the database. Right. Yeah. So. Microsoft did that with their SQL Server. With SQL provider. Server, but I don't sure. know that it would work with anything else. I and mean, that's the question is, are, has anybody built a provider? That's not easy to do. Spatial data is weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to handle. And everybody does it differently. Well, so they've put it there. Yeah. <laughs> they put it out there. Someone's going to implement it. That's, you know, that's another, another set of issues. The SQL standards have had a tough time keeping up with some of these more exotic data models. Any questions for Julie Lerman? About anything? Anything data? Right here in the front row. Nice so, shirt, by the way. Thanks. So, uh, where does in Hibernate shines when we compare this with Entity Framework? I think that today the big sticking point, the biggest sticking point between Entity Framework, that something that Entity Framework doesn't have and, and Hibernate does have that people talk about a lot is the built-in support for second-level caching. Hmm. So I thought there was second-level caching available for Entity Framework. There, there is, but it's not built in. Oh, Somebody okay. on the Entity Framework team wrote the EF caching provider. It's also combined with um, another another provider. It's just not coming to me. Um, and it's it's code that you can you can just take it and and put it into. So you your just add it to your project and tie it. Yeah. In. Okay, very good. We have another question, Jim Willie. In all of the code and such that you look at from uh, your fans that send things to you from the books <laughs> and such, uh, I was wondering if you could relay some of the most common mistakes that people make or performance issues that you see and some easy ways that you might be able to tweak those kinds of things. Oh, that's great. Awesome question. Nice softball there, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> You should have seen what we did to Kim Tripp with that question. And she couldn't stop answering it. <laughs> well, something that is really a big deal, and I actually just did a data points column on this, and because I, I've seen it a number of times, but I saw it in a really big organization where it was causing a lot of pain. They were doing model first. And they wanted ev they wanted to add logging to all of the entities in the model. So they created a base class, one base class that every single entity in the model, maybe about 70 entities, every single entity inherited from this base class, which created a lot of problem because the, the base class wasn't really defining the entities. It was just extra information. But what happens with model first is that by default, it creates table per type. So it creates a different table for every one of those entities. But then when you do a query, they were trying to query a piece of inf logging information. Hmm. So Entity Framework had to go through every single table to bring back all of the data and then figure out which types they were Sounds like it was slow. Six? No, I think it was an eight thousand line query. Yikes! All right, well, there's your problem right two. there. <laughs> two with a lot of jo uh, outer joins or something. We sort of get to a point where you're just you're amazed it ran at all. 
Yeah. And and they they had done a ton of analysis with Entity Framework Profiler and everything. I was really, really impressed with it. And they're like, we can't make the query better. I'm like, well, that's because of this thing in your model. And, mm. you know, that's why it's doing it. So That's, that's the old story. Surgeons bury their mistakes. Database developers cover them in code. <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't able to uh, – they – they had a longer-term plan to change the model. Right. I said, you need to do that. But today, don't write the queer in Entity Framework. Mm -hmm. Go yeah. write a stored procedure. Right. Yeah. So the DBA guy, he left the room. He came back a little while longer. He said, oh, my God, it went from two seconds to nine milliseconds. <laughs> that would be an improvement. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's two stories there. One is, you know – Use use those database tools when you need to. Sure. Entity Framework can't do everything mm -hmm. because right. it's really if you, you got to think about how they're coming up with those queries. It's you know they've got to have some kind of algorithm mm -hmm. to take anything you're throwing at it and create a query from it. So no, it's not going to be exactly the query you're going to write. They're going to do. It's going to you know it's a pretty generic thing. That's one. And the other is don't do that. In a model, <laughs> when you're when you're using the designer, don't yeah. do that. That was really dangerous. It's a dangerous booby trap. Yeah. So there's uh, in the article I talked about other ways to get around, uh, so you, other ways to implement that. You generally only see using stored procedures when the performance is an issue. No. Um, sometimes there's just a query that's just too difficult to express. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, a lot of times I'll go, I'll go to a view because, you know, yeah, I could figure out how to write the query. It's a pain to write this query. And mm -hmm. then Entity Framework is going to have, you know, I, because I know how Entity Framework is a lot of things that it's going to do when it's generating the queries, mm -hmm. I can kind of anticipate where it might not do things so well. So I'll change how I'm doing the query or sometimes I'll say, you know what? A view is just going to do that better. Right. Let me put a view in there. Let the database do its thing. And EFLEX yeah. views. Yeah. And also, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if I've been taking a lot of lessons from CQRS lately mm -hmm. also, and, and I'm not doing it exactly the way, you know, those guys are doing it, but I'm just taking the ideas and, and thinking about that when I'm, I'm working on my applications. And one of the problems, you know, that you can come up with, with views, if you're using mapping to views, then all of a sudden, like now you got a problem if you want to update. If you want to, you know, query against the view, bring the objects into memory, edit them, and then call save changes. Right. That's not going to work. With a designer, you can map those entities to stored procedures that do the update stuff. Mm -hmm. You can do that code first. You don't have that option. There's some stored procedure support, but it doesn't do that. So thinking about that problem and thinking about some of the things I've been learning, listening to, uh, the, all these discussions about CQRS. One of the things I've started Can we doing. Define that acronym. Command Query Responsibility Segregation. And this is Zudi Dahan's big focus these days. Yeah, you know he's he's a huge fan and proponent yeah. of of that of the approach. But it's like I said, it's it's about segregating that responsibility. Yeah. So mm. I've I've started in some small apps that I'm working on where I can get away with experimenting with these things in production applications for my clients. Like, oh, it'll just take an extra week. I don't build them for it, but you know they just have yeah. to be a little more patient. I've yeah. started doing things where I'm, you know, I'll build views or I'll build models for reading and I'll build models 
for writing. Right. Yeah. And they're different. So I can get away with having a view that brings back all this great stuff I want to put on my screen. I guess it's time to go. (laughs) (laughs) All lights popped off and on here. Um, and, And then I know that I'm not updating every single one of these things. I know that in my application, I'm really only ever going to change this and that. Mm-hmm. So I have another model that has a different class, and then I can, I can just update that class. I'll nice. pull the big, huge, robust view of the data, and then I'll just push up a little streamline, ping, to just shove it into the database. Awesome. I would love to continue this discussion. It sounds like a whole other show, doesn't it? But we really have to go. So let's it's give Julie like- Lerman a great big hand. Yay! And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.